is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. Wow, May 3rd already. And my guest is no other than Narav of Android Authority, Narav Gondia. You are right. Yes. So. I mean, after this many years, I would expect so. Well, I'd like to, but I, I just, you know, some, I don't think I've, I never pronounced your last name. It just doesn't come up, you know, in conversation. Um, I just say Narav. Everybody knows who I'm talking about, right? I mean. There is only one. There's only one. Or bad. So. Um, I want to talk about the G7 today. It was just announced yesterday, Wednesday, and I want to talk about this uh, crazy uh, uh, T-Mobile Sprint merge news, uh, maybe a little bit about the Facebook uh, conference that's been going on, F8. And I think, um, you know, that's basically the gist of it for me. Uh, maybe I'm forgetting something, but uh, we'll get to it anyway. Um, so what are your thoughts? Let's start with the G7, because this is a phone show. People want to hear what we have to say. Go. I'm not convinced. So let me, <laughs> let me kind of provide some clarity, okay? Sure. I, you know, I've played with the G7 at a briefing. We always get briefings. And, you know, on paper, there's not much wrong with it. It's a really good phone. It has all the features you could want. The camera looks pretty impressive. The super bright mode is going to blind you. So that's all good. Good job, LG. But the reason I'm not convinced is, Miriam, when they announced their whole new kind of mobile strategy, they said, we're going to release phones when we feel like we need to release them. One of the big things that came out of that was the fact that all the AI features are going to be coming straight to other devices in an AI update, which makes me wonder, it's not so much the G7, but... Why have so many phones, you know, they've, they've almost taken a Sony approach. They're like, oh, we could, you know, we, we could release an update and that would fix it. No, we're just going to basically release a new phone and more phones and more phones. We could easily see four to six flagships. That said, the other thing that really is about the G7 for me is. It's like I said, it's a really good phone that there's I mean, obviously we'll wait for the full uh, reviews. But it's boring. I reached that point after, I think, the best part of 10 to 12 years that it takes a lot to be exciting. You know what I mean by that, right? Oh, yeah. No, look, I, I agree with you. I think it's... Um, I wouldn't say... Look, I'm... <sighs> I'm torn. What I don't understand, I think I want to go back to what you said, is like we, they made a big brouhaha. They were kind of regrouping and redeciding, reevaluating where they were going to take the next generation phones, right? And then they give us this, which is basically pretty much what we expected, right? Yeah. So it kind of makes me wonder, like, what were they going to do originally? Because what's the difference? Here's, here, here's my take on it. Because um, I was sitting in a briefing thinking, okay, 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 okay. And then I was like, meh. I mean, it's a nice phone to play with. And I'm sure in Raspberry Rose, it's an amazing phone because the color looks... Of course, uh, that, that looks pretty hot. 
the color looks pretty hot. But I would simply say it's kind of, you know, it's, I don't know what they were originally planning. And the best, and the kind of the worst part of it is, why even bother? I know the G6 needed to be replaced. There's no denying that. But surely they could have done something a little different. Like, I'm going to give you, go on to something we may talk about later, which is a P20 Pro. Uh-huh. You know why I love the P20 Pro? Do tell. It has a great camera, for sure. Yes. But it's different. It's different. Yeah. It's so different yeah. to anything else out there, from the color to all of that. And I've used an S9 and just went, meh. I'm not the average, well, obviously none of us are the average consumer. But what we do have is the fact that, you know, it's not hard to stand out, actually. If right. with all the phones being samey, 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 it's not hard to stand out. So how did LG not really manage to? Well, so let, let's back up and explain a little bit. Remember, not everybody here has seen the phone. They might have maybe seen my on unbo- my uh, hands-on video, your hands-on video, right? We read some stories uh, on, uh, you know, on Android Authority, which is where you are. Um, but... Um, you know, they might not know exactly what, like, so first of all, it's, it's very evolution. It's like the Galaxy S9 versus the S8 in many ways. I just feel like it's evolutionary. Um, and, and that's, I'm kind of wondering if they could have done really anything else. I mean, what do you propose they could have done? I mean, Huawei is, has way deeper pockets than LG at this point in their mobile division. I agree. I do agree. And you know, I've been meaning to say this for a long time. I would have just not bothered. But you if, can't do that. You have to be. You have to continue making phones, right? No, no. I, I would continue making phones, but with the big hoo-ha, this was the perfect opportunity for them to go, how do we make this a very different experience? And you know the best way to do that? Would be to actually take regroup. I know that they had the G7 in works. Like, if you think about the ThinkQ branding and some of the stuff they told us during the briefing about the timing on, say, the V30 and things like that, it's they definitely had the G7 in the works. The biggest problem is they didn't, it doesn't seem like they actually decided to scrap the G7 like they said they were going to do. They were like, oh, maybe we could just add some AI stuff, which is, you know, the AI stuff is good. Is it going to sell a phone? Yeah, I mean, look, my my issues with the G seven. So let's first of all let's go over what it what it is. Um, it is the it is just basically what you'd expect in two thousand eighteen from a flagship Snapdragon eight forty five. Um, display with a notch. Um, do uh, you know good interesting AI driven dual camera system? Um, and a glass sandwich, right? And now you're going to say all of these elements basically existed in the V30, other than the Snapdragon 845. Uh, and, and in a way existed in the G6, uh, except the G6 kind of missed the boat on the 835 and was stuck with an 821. So, so to me, it, it ticks all the boxes and it adds a few little goodies, like the headphone jack remains with the ESS audio uh, hi-fi quad DAC, which is a kind of an awesome thing, which, as you know, we did not get that on the G6 in the US last year. We, we only got on the V30, whereas some SKUs of the G6 got it in, in I think, in Korea. And then 
we have um what else do we have we have we have uh you know the wide angles which kind of differentiates a little bit in the rear camera versus having a tele or a monochrome lens as a second camera and we have the google assistant button which is yeah, gimmicky but interesting anyway the things that kind of vex me is that there wasn't really any attempt to make this phone stand out in terms of design um and certainly not in terms of specs, in the sense that it only has 4 gigs of RAM, which I think is kind of low. It only has 64 gigs of storage, which I think is kind of low, even though it has microSD. And it only has um, a 3000 milliamp hour battery, which I also think is kind of low. I mean, it might run you through the day without issues, but that's not the point, you know? Yeah, so I, you know, I totally agree. We... LG could really have pushed the boat. If you look at someone like OnePlus, you know, they push the boat. Every time they'll go, all right, what's the max RAM we can throw in? What's things like that? The problem is LG doesn't seem to quite, they haven't quite figured out what the best way for them to actually be successful is. My personal, and I was having this conversation the other day, I'd like to see them go to one phone a year. Just a V-series with yes. the very best that they can offer once a year. So if you want the headphone jack and you want, you know, the quad jack and you want all of these good goodies and the manual video controls and all of that, one phone a year. What that's going to mean is it's going to take, allow them to focus all of their resources on improving the AI, on making sure that releasing multiple updates for the AI package, you know, releasing making sure it's got everything and i don't think the current approach is going to work like i can ask you miriam how much of this phone stands out well so okay the display is very unique and i think that that we you know it's not it's, it doesn't stand out in the end because there's so many good oled panels out there like the the p20s and the of course the galaxies um and and of course, um, you know, to me, it's it's just like it just kind of looks like a, a half, like a mixture of the design of the G6 and the design of V30. Kind of seems like a half baked, uh, non attempt at design. I mean, it it's got all the bits and pieces. It looks okay. It's got a glass sandwich design, which I like. All that good stuff. But but yeah, um, you know, the reality is. Uh, I I don't I don't I'm not sure uh, if 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 they've really put much effort into this and after this big regrouping they did, uh, and and so I I I feel like we we just like we were expecting that they were kind of waiting to launch this thing to kind of do something a bit unique and just it's just you know an evolutionary product and pretty much what we expected and you can you can feel that there's no love going into it you know, yeah um so. So the, to me, that's that's the gripe I have. It's like the display is technically different and unique, right? Because it, it means that we have an IPS panel that looks a lot like an OLED panel and to my, and from what I saw. Now, it could get really bright. I think that's kind of a gimmick. It's nice and direct sunlight, but it only lasts for three minutes anyway because then it has to bump it down because of temperature and battery use. But it is a gorgeous quad HD display with a notch and here's the thing there's not many phones with a quad HD display and a notch right there's only the essential um and as far as I know that's it because all the other ones are 1080p uh, that I'm aware of somebody correct me if I'm wrong in the in the uh, show uh, in the in the in on Twitter or whatever but 
what do you think? Is there any other display that's quad HD out there that's got a notch today? Other than the, the essential, which is not really a notch, but a hole. Mm. Yeah, see, so anyway, so the point is, and it's IPS or LCD or whatever you want to call it. And, and it's very bright and the colors are really nice. What's unique is that it has, you know, R RGB and white pixels. So it's got four pixels, four colors per pixel, which means they can get brighter because it's got an extra white pixel. All this is technically extremely impressive. And LG is a kind of a, you know, pretty amazing display manufacturer. They make TVs. We all know how awesome they are. So. So to me, I, I can't under, from a technical level, I can't say that they didn't put any effort into this. But the end result is we've got to basically, you know, it doesn't feel like a big deal, right? It's just like, okay, you've got a nice display. You expect a nice display on a flagship. The Galaxy S9 has a nicest display and, you know, the P20 Pro, um, is, is a pretty damn great OLED display as well. So, you know, where do you go from here? So that's kind of my gripe right now. And then the other thing is, is, um, that, that, you know, like putting only four gigs of RAM on this phone, you know, and putting only like, uh, uh, what is it? A 3000 milliamp hour battery is just like, I just like don't get it. You know, it's like, what, what was this all about? That's, that's kind of what I'm disappointed about. I, I think you, I, I think you're right, though, like on all of that, you know, the, the battery, just just to take what you just said, what was this all about? I basically felt like they didn't scrap it. They went, if we throw AI on it and throw the Think You branding on it, that that's good enough, right? They seem to be doing, you know, what's good enough, not, OK, what can we do to actually sell phones? Yeah, and I think that's a crucial part. It's like, why, you know, why even bother? Like that—that's the whole thing I could think about with the G7. And I don't want to—I don't want to say, you know, not LG because we definitely need more competition. And the V30 was a great phone for me. It was. Paper. I mean, I really love it. It's one of my favorite, and I recommend it. I mean, I did recommend it a couple of times. Um, yeah. Yeah. The G7, why would you buy that on a shelf? When, so let's, you know, we know that LG doesn't have the marketing budget of others. It doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have the carrier support that someone like Samsung does. And it's got enough issues in terms of reputation around reliability, especially with all the boot looping. The company has a lot more problems than just how do I make this slightly better? Evolutionary, not revolutionary, like you said. What it really, really needs, and honestly, what the industry really needs is revolutionary. But it's, I, I, I think that's a... Look, I don't think we should just remove LG from that discussion for a second. And I don't think that's a realistic expectation in 2018 because we have reached peak smartphone. I mean, look, smartphone sales just declined in China for the first time. You know, the analyst reports just got published. 21% decline for the first time ever. No, I mean... What, what that tells me is that people are keeping their older phones longer because their older phones are finally satisfying all their needs and they don't need to upgrade every year or every two years. And you know why that is? Because we have reached peak smartphone. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that we are at a point where you can buy a $200 phone like the Honor 7X, right? And be perfectly happy being able to do all the things you want to do on your phone for two years 
and be super satisfied. And so at that point, why spend $1,000 on an iPhone 10, whatever it is on a Galaxy S9, $900, and S, I'm thinking 9 plus, but anyway, uh, what about, you know, what's the, you know, we don't know pricing and availability on the G7 yet. We don't even know what it's going to cost. If it costs $600, I'm on board. For $600, that's a great phone, right? But is it going to be $600? So, so I think the question is, like, how can you innovate at this point? The only way we can go forward right now in smartphone design is a full screen design. Like, no notch, no bezels, all screen. Now, where do you put the camera? Now, we've seen Vivo come up with some ideas. We've seen uh, uh, Do Do G no, come up with a slider phone where the slider top, uh, the, the phone slides down as a kind of a half Oreo kind of thing. And at the top is the microphone and a speak, sorry, the speaker and the... Um, and the camera, right? And then you can, you, if you don't take a call, you don't need that stuff. You or you don't want to take a selfie, you don't need that stuff. You slide it back. We've seen that's a revolution. That's cool design, but I think it's too expensive, too complex, too price sensitive. To you know, how do you do waterproofing on a phone like that? There's a lot of technical challenge. So to me, right now, we're in kind of this lull zone where. People are not able to bring us the things we want next, which is a full screen, notchless, edgeless display, full, full on edgeless. And we're kind of waiting until that's possible. And that's going to be the next big revolution. And, and, and that's why you're right. Huawei was the only one to push the envelope because they completely reinvented and reimagined what a camera system can do on a phone. They use some existing technology and some older technology and some newer technology to make it happen. The existing technology is what they did with their monochrome camera. The, um, the new technology is, uh, you know, a three times optical zoom in such a small uh, Z, Z package like th thickness is pretty impressive. Uh, the, the old technology is a 40 megapixel, which is pretty much they copied what PureView and, and did on uh, with Nokia back in the day. And, and, and they improved on it and they changed it. And to me, that's why you and I feel like the, the P20 Pro is, a, is, a, is kind of a, a, an interesting phone. But there's very little room, I think, to evolve right now. And unless you have Huawei or Samsung or Apple's budgets and R&D, I don't think you're going to get there. LG technically has those budgets because they're a huge Korean company that makes more than phones. But it seems that their bosses are saying, look, you're not selling enough phones. We're not going to give you enough more money to create better phones because your business, this is not, this is a losing proposition. So they're caught in a kind of a, my feeling, this is my feeling. I have no facts to back this up, but having covered LG since the original Optimus G and before that even, I have a feeling that they're at a place where they don't really have the money to do the R&D for mobile to really stand out, yet they're they're in the decline in terms of sales, so their bosses are saying, well, unless you deliver good sales, we're not going to give you more money for R&D. It's a catch-22, right? So oh, that's, absolutely. That's kind catch. of, I think, so I, I don't want to say necessarily this is LG's fault, but in many ways, look at the Galaxy S9. It's very evolutionary, right? I mean, it's a solid phone. I've finally decided to like take it for a spin and really use it. And I have to say, I could live, it's a great phone. It's got everything and it has a good camera and it has a good display and it has good performance. And it, but, but I feel like, you know, it's just a tiny bump up from last year's S8, right? And, and I think that's, you know, 
I don't think I don't think we should expect more. Honestly, I don't know how we can expect more. What I want to say though is that even though I wasn't expecting too much more from the G7, what I'm disappointed with is things like the design is very 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 boring like very much like we didn't try we didn't even try the v30 i felt like they tried the industrial design of the v30 is interesting but the g7 is just boring and then the other thing to me that didn't try is is you know the specs like four gigs of ram on a flagship today are you kidding me like i mean the specs is one thing you know it's funny what you say about wanting and not being able to give us something new because that's something they did touch about when we when we talked about the G7 and had the briefing. You know, we're probably 18 to 24 months away from something truly outstanding. I right. can see 20, end of 2019 where there's this huge shift in the form factor and design of a smartphone, whether it's flexible, rounded or whatever. You know, we are in this massive lull. So LG needed to go with, I, I think they've probably done the best that they could have done by release but no they, they see that, i don't think they did see I, they could have done an interesting a more interesting glass sandwich design um you know other than the one pink color i don't think the design is very inspired you know it's just like a meld of all kinds of other things like why not put the camera module diagonally in the back nobody's done that yet like uh, it's just a matter of packaging the parts in a certain way. It's not like you're uh, reinventing the wheel. It's unique. It would distinguish your phone immediately in the same way as the three lenses distinguish the P20 Pro, right? Apple did it f by putting vertically on one side the camera, the dual camera, and everyone's copying that now, right? So, so I think there's things they could do that are really not that difficult to do that could distinguish them, and they didn't. And then the other thing is, again, I will, I just don't understand how we can ship a flagship today. Like, I can kind of a little bit with Samsung because they have two versions of Galaxy S9. They have the S9, S9 Plus, and the S9 only has four gigs. But they at least have the S9 Plus with six gigs. Why did they ship a phone? And I don't think you necessarily need more than four gigs. That's not the point, though. The point is, depends on the pricing in the end. But we're looking at a flagship. A flagship should have more than four gigs of RAM in 2018. And they shipped with six, four instead of six. And the battery, 3,000 milliamp hour. It's like we just did what was good enough. You look at how big that phone is. Uh, relatively speaking, compare it to the Galaxy S9 Plus. It's about the same thickness and the same size. The Galaxy S9 Plus, it's 3,500 milliamp hours. Now, the Huawei P20 Pro is a little thicker, mind you, maybe a millimeter thicker, and it has a 4,000 milliamp hour battery. Don't tell me, like, to me, it sounds like, you know that mono speaker they designed in there that's really loud and clear, and I have to give them kudos. It's really loud and clear. There's a lot of speakers that are loud, but not clear. This is loud and clear. Awesome. And they use the inside cavity of the phone to make that happen, right? You know yeah. what that tells me is that they had to carve out space inside that phone for the cavity and reduce the battery size because of it. So to me, this is a compromise. And that's why I'm not happy with 3000 milliamp hours, even oh, if it lasts a day. Right. So that's what I'm saying. It's like they did not just do an evolutionary design. They didn't try very hard at all. This is why I don't think, you know, this is why I think they, you know, they, we, we all thought, okay, they're scrapping the G7 and they were, no, we're just going to release it anyway. This doesn't feel like a new approach. This feels like they something they had cooking. It's like somebody went to a drawer full of different prototypes and went, you know, that one will do. Let's throw this in there. Let's throw that in there. We don't really care. Let's try and make it all about AI. And we're, we're intentionally knocking it, of course. 
to play a devil's advocate, it's, there's, you know, if you see it on a shelf, why are you going to buy it? Right. And I don't think you will. And that's the biggest problem. So I think the other thing we, and again, I don't want you guys to think that you shouldn't look at the G7 and I, I don't want LG to think that I hate the G7. No, I think it's perfectly competent. I think it's going to be a great phone. I'm really looking forward to trying it out because we want, I want to talk with the camera, which I think is going to be the, the thing that's going to save it. Like, like it did all the LG phones in the last couple of years, but, but I, I'm just, I think the more I think about this, Narav, the more, as we're talking, the more I think about this. It, the more it seems that they just wanted to hit what the carriers asked for. Remember, in the U.S., this LG is U.S. is a big market for LG. They even though they don't sell as many phones as Samsung, they have, especially in the mid and low range, a lot of prepaid phones and carrier phones out there. So they need a flagship in the U.S. And what happened, I think, is they went to the four carriers and said, "Hey, what do you want in a flagship for 2018?" and and that's probably what uh, the G7 ended up being, is what the carriers wanted in a flagship. And a little bit of you know, LG pizzazz thrown in there with that special display and that special mono speaker. But the rest is just, the carriers probably didn't want more than 4 gigs of RAM. And didn't want more than 3,000 milliamp hours because they want to sell spare batteries, like, uh, I mean, USB battery packs. And because they are looking at the cost, right? They want to subsidize these handsets and they don't want, they want to make some profits on that subsidy. So... So, You're very, very right so there. I think we need to wait until we find out what pricing is. If this phone is $600, $650, which remember, the G6 ended up being in that price range, right? That's cheap today for a flagship. They said that it will come in around the G6 pricing. Well, then, then honestly, for $650, that's a freaking great phone. Think about what you're getting for six for $650. I mean, it's not OnePlus, but, you know, and obviously we're going to find out about the OnePlus very soon. Uh, the OnePlus 6, I'm sure, is going to trump everyone in price again, even though it's going to go up in price, I think, a little bit. But here's the thing. I think that if you are the average U.S. customer and you buy your phone subsidized by walking into a, uh, a store, you might actually pick up the G7 because it gives you very similar specs to the Galaxy S9 in, and some specs that the Galaxy S9 Plus has, like the dual camera, for about, you know, $200 less. Yeah, and that's a good, you know, that's a very, very good So point. maybe we're looking at it the wrong way, right? I, I, but then again, I f I mean, the reason I'm being so critical of LG and the G7, and you are too, I think, is because we love LG, right? You and I, everyone in the media, we've really got, grown fond of LG. The G5 was a misstep, but the G6, I thought, was a solid phone last year. It just missed out on the Snapdragon 835 boat. And the V30, honestly, was probably the the most underrated phone of 2017. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to be, I'm going to agree with you, but it's not going to fully, because the V30 was amazing, and I remember how excited we all got when, we uh, when it was announced. Uh, once you started using it, it was really, really good and really functional, and it had a lot of the features, but it missed, it seemed to be lacking just that tiny bit of polish. That said, you know with the G7, you're right, we are looking at things the wrong way because the G6 at 600, you know, it's so easy to take a phone like the G6 and try and compare it to the very best out there. But we're almost seeing another segment opening up between the affordable flagships that are like the $500 mark 
and the Uber, like the ultra flagships at the 900, there's now this entire new section where you'll find things like the OnePlus fitting into because it gets more expensive, the LG G6. And there's nothing to say that that can't be a segment that LG actually dominates as well. They don't need to go to $1,000 if they can offer, you know, 90% or 85, 90% of the feature set, even more with stuff that no one else has, but around the 650 price point. Because yeah. that's, a, that's a very compelling proposition. It is. The problem it's just is... a shame that we don't have the pizzazz that we've always wanted LG to have. And, but and I think next year we may do. And there's another problem. And the problem is that we will not in the US get this phone unlocked. So, you know, 650 sounds or 600 sounds nice on paper, but when you probably will be able to buy a, a OnePlus 6 around that same price, 550, 600, whatever it's going to be, I don't know. Um, you're going to buy the OnePlus because it's unlocked and it's got plain Android. See what I'm saying? I think that's no carrier brand. That's 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 that. the big problem with LG is they continue playing the carrier game. You've got to stop LG. Even Samsung sells their phones unlocked in the US. Like I what? don't think carriers will let LG. I think carriers have LG by the scruff of the neck. That's that's a good a better way to put it than I was going to. I was <laughs> um, trying to be polite. Look, I mean, I think that that's the problem I'm having with this is that it's like LG's got to like uh, you know grow some balls, okay? Like everyone is selling their phones unlocked. Just tell your freaking phone unlocked. You're gonna sell ten of them. It doesn't matter. But at least you you're doing lip service to the people who care about you, like us, and and the people who listen to this podcast and the people who read Android Authority. Right? I agree. Now, you know, I want to say one thing about the G6, though. I like the dedicated AI key. Like, I, I, would I ever use it? Occasionally. Do I? I mean, it's a I nice can see value to it. Yeah. What is super interesting about it is they've taken, you know, think about not us, because things like the squeeze feature on the Pixel is just incredible. I hate the squeeze feature. It's useless. I squeeze it all the time when I don't want to squeeze it. And when I actually want Google Assistant, I end up saying, okay, Google, anyway. I'd much rather have a button. Exactly. But same with the average Joe. Like my dad would not use a squeeze feature. He'd be like, what the hell is this? But exactly. if I tell him, here's a button that activates Assistant, that's going to get people interested because that brings in the whole AI thing. Totally. So there's a lot about the G7 that's good. I really, I will just say to sum it up, I really hope that next year we don't have seven phones because we've had two LG flagships in three months. I know. Uh, well, I mean, the V30 uh, Plus, whatever, Think you, whatever, that, 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 that did not count, okay? The, v, the V30S, I guess, in all its variants, and I'm not going to use it. I think you branding is really fucked okay i will not <laughs> use it i am sorry okay so so forget that it'll be the lgv you know what uh, they should have called it the lgv g7 ai it shouldn't have just be lgg7 you don't even need that stuff they, they went with it to try and signify it's got an ai approach they need to take the huawei approach just call it a g7 and let the ai stand out but will they well, the I problem is, it, it, I don't, this is the thing. That's why I don't like, like, you know, I love how Marcus Brownlee in his video, hands on of the G7, just said, I'm, uh, for now, you know, I'm, it's called the Think Q, but I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to call it the LG G7. And I, I agree the same way. Look, we haven't even mentioned Think Q until just now. Um, 
It's it's a really stupid branding that LG launched at, at CES that all their devices that have an AI of some sort are going to be called ThinQ. Like, seriously, like, can, is it's so LG. It's like you've had a decade to learn not to do this kind of stuff, LG. Like, please, like, you know, try, okay? It, it's like, no. It's like lost in translation. It doesn't work here. I think we need to give them a little bit of a, you know, we need to give them a little bit of a, let's say credit, if you will. Okay, uh, credit's not a good word, but I think we need to cut them a little bit of slack going, obviously they have a lot of issues. Obviously they're trying to work them out, or so they say. What I think we probably need to do is wait, because let's, let's you know, the G7, I remember conversations having at MWC and even at CES, the G7's been in the works for over a year. And, you know, we know both, Miriam, you, you and I both know how long it takes to test these phones. Anything from, say, six to nine months is one part, and the whole R&D experience is like 18 months, you know, right, yeah, from start to finish. When a new guy comes in at the beginning of the year and goes, I'm sorry, but we need to change this, they've sunk a lot of money into this already just to come up with the phone. It may not seem like it because there's very little difference, but they've invested on many, many months of work. So the G7 to me somewhat feels, now feels like, if I kind of take that thought, it feels like the halfway house between this, what it could have been, like what it was going to be, and a phone that's dedicated to AI. And they've made subtle tweaks, and they probably made only the only tweaks they actually could, you know? I would say before, you know, I think I'd love to revisit this six months from now yeah. when the new V30 out or next year and see whether they've actually learned anything. Look, because that's the interesting point. As I said, I am going to enjoy the G7 when I get my review unit. I'm going to, you know, I don't want you to think I hate LG and I hate the G7 explicitly. I just have a lot of questions and a lot of concerns. And the immediate feel is as much as I like this phone, because I like LG and I like the G series, it's like, where's the meat? You know, like, and I wasn't expecting Huawei levels of camera insanity. Like I was just expecting more of this evolution that Samsung has shown us where they, they emphasize their strengths and try to fix some of their weaknesses. And in the surface is very evolutionary, but once you start using it, it becomes like, okay, this is, you know, genuinely an improvement. Um, uh, probably not an improvement enough to upgrade from a GS eight, but Hey, um, and I think that, it's, this is the missing part right now. We both haven't had a chance to put that G7 in our pocket for a week, and we might we might change our minds. I want to talk about the camera a little bit, simply because I want to move on to to other topics. But we haven't really talked about the camera. A lot of people know that LG's thing has always been to put a wide angle and a regular lens instead of like a tele and a regular or a mono and a regular. And they've continued that here. But what's interesting is they're using the same 16 megapixel sensor that was in the main shooter of the G6. Sorry, no, the main shooter, the V30. And they're putting that on both in the back. Whereas in the back, the wide angles always had like a 13 or an 8 megapixel, some sort of reduced megapixel, like inferior sensor. So now they have identical sensors. They still have f over 1.6 and OIS on the main lens, f over 1.9 on the secondary wide angle, no OIS. And they have uh, a slightly narrower field of view, 107 instead of 120 degrees, uh, which, you know, makes it less wide angle, but less distortion. And they're, you know, 
I could tell like their their whatever their lens system they're using is certainly more accurate than before. So what the end result is going to be higher quality um, wide angle photos from the G7 than any previous wide angle uh, LG phones. And they finally have added a synthetic portrait mode, which everybody needs to have these days and both on the front and the back. And of course, in the back, they're leveraging the two cameras to do that. Um, that's to me kind of cool. Right. The rest of it is pretty much what we saw in the V30s, right? The AI features are just like with the P20 Pro. I turn it off because I find that it, it emphasizes things in pictures. I don't want it to emphasize. It often makes mistakes determining what to emphasize. I get what they're trying to do. I feel it needs more refinement and work to get there. That's my takeaway for the cameras. I agree. I like the fact that they are trying, you know, the keeping the wide angle means that they have something that's different. And I tried it out, and you know what? The portrait mode—it's not bad. It's not it's bad at all. To say. I know it's difficult to say with that. It's also actually showing you don't need telephoto to do portrait. Of course you don't. Nobody. You just need two cameras to do portrait. That's exactly. That's it. And, and you well. don't actually even need two cameras with good AI. You can do it with a single camera, like the front-facing pixel camera or the front-facing anybody's camera. Rear, I mean the camera. Every. Every front-facing camera right now that has an AI portrait mode can, you know, does a better or worse job, but does some job. Like the iPhone obviously uses depth perception; it doesn't count. But the um, the Pixel Two is a, definitely the prime example of how to do it right with a front-facing camera. The P20 does an okay job with a single camera. I think the G7 will be fine too. Yep, I agree entirely. Again, this AI stuff, uh, the portrait mode AI has been refined for multiple generations now. We're probably on the third generation of that algorithm and you can see it's paying off, right? Because the machine learning needs data to learn and it's been learning from all the selfies we've been taking and from all the data that, you know, Google collects in Google Photos and uses to determine what a good portrait looks like and all that good stuff. So... I'm excited about the camera system on the G7. That's the thing, single thing, and that and the audio, of course. Again, I want to reemphasize, we just touched on it briefly. I don't care about the mono speaker being loud and clear. That's a nice little perk. But I'm more excited about this. Still is a headphone jack, and it has absolutely has the quad DAC ESS um, crazy chip for audio files. And you know, for me, this is a huge deal. The V30 is definitely the phone that I take with me when I want to listen to music on the go, or even not on the go because it's so good so last year we got cheated we didn't get that in the us on the g6 we got it on the v30 but this year the g this is the first g series in the us that officially has the quad dock and the ess chip kudos to lg to probably stand up to the carriers to keep that feature right yep i agree so there you go ah let's uh stretch our fingers a little bit here narav because the next topic is Oh my goodness. So if you guys, and, and unless you were under a rock in the last few days since this weekend when it was announced that T-Mobile and Sprint, after courting each other and multiple attempts that kind of failed, um, finally decided that they're going to merge and that they're going to hook up and that basically it's just T-Mobile assimilating Sprint in many ways because it's going to be called the new T-Mobile, uh, you know, uh, John Ledger is going to remain CEO, etc., uh, etc. Et so, what does it mean? 
Like, is it good? Is it bad? Of course, the verdict is still out. Uh, my first gut reaction as a T-Mobile customer and a long-time T-Mobile user that really has a fondness for the company was, oh my God, they're making changes. Oh my God, freak out, freak out. But then I think about it and... This is a, this isn't, you know, this is a consolidation to be able to compete with AT&T and Verizon better. And it's a consolidation to be able to be much, much more on the forefront of what 5G will be able to offer when 5G rolls out. And you have to understand that the spectrum that Sprint has combined with the spectrum that T-Mobile has is like the perfect match in terms of, you know, high gigahertz, low mega, uh, low gigahertz, like megahertz. Uh, spectrum and of course millimeter wave um, you know which is uh, uh, higher than six gigahertz uh, uh, you know spectrum and it, and it means that if they do this right this new T-Mobile is going to be set to be a major player in 5G and not just for mobile 5G but also for delivering broadband 5G to your home which means that we might be using T-Mobile as a home internet service in the future as a dedicated you know, technology. To me, a lot of this is very exciting and I'm hoping this is not some kind of big brouhaha where, you know, ultimately John Ledger is going to be like, I'm going to exit and make a lot of money and le let you deal with this, uh, you know, because he's been running the show for a while. I really have the feeling he's genuinely invested in making T-Mobile better and that this sprint acquisition is going to make that possible. Your thoughts? I, I agree. Now, you know, this was interesting news for me and obviously for any listeners who don't know, I'm from the UK, so I don't have, say, the long history of T-Mobile and things like that. What I'll say is, firstly, I really, really, really hope that T-Mobile still becomes the uncarrier. Because right now, the premise of their growth is the fact that they're trying to be different. When T-Mobile becomes, like, if this merger goes through, and obviously it requires the regulators, which is a key part, but if it goes all the way through and it, you know, and it successfully completes, this is where it's going to be interesting to see if they go, see whether they continue to try and still be different now that they're significantly bigger or whether they turn into another carrier. T-Mobile, like, I have a feeling John Leger, I think is, I don't think that's Ledger. That's it. Ledger. John Ledger. I always get that wrong. I feel like John Ledger is potentially going to keep it the way it is now. But that's only going to be for so long. T-Mobile and Sprint merging is huge news, but I do think it's huge news industry-wise. I don't think it's a good thing for consumers. Yes, their combined spectrum is going to be fantastic, but they didn't need to fully merge the companies. And the reason I say this is I think back to when T-Mobile and Orange merged in the UK. Both were in the top four. This, uh, you know, actually, then we had five. We had five major carriers. They were in the, both of them were in the top. Combined, they became the biggest, much bigger, the biggest carrier in the UK. But prices went up. You know, a bunch of people lost jobs because they had loads of stores next to each other. There was, you know, even putting their systems together. I can think back to 4G example. And the combined company, you know, they need to first do what uh, that company didn't, which is to go, instead of trying to set up a whole new company, just merge everything into one. Don't try and have a third or a fourth brand and do all of that, because it's going to be very confusing. And the main thing that was there was when 
they combined all their customer service resources, when they combined all their billing systems. I, for example, couldn't access, I'll give you a very simple example of what happened. I could not activate a new SIM card for three weeks. Wow. That has to be fixed. That has to be something that, you know, we talk about all this big stuff about mergers, but for the consumer, they need to be able to make sure they can walk in at any time, still get served, no matter which one of the two stores they go into, and not have to go, oh, go to the other one. Oh, no, go to the other one. Oh, you're in some random system we can't access. Call this number. Call that number. There's going to be those problems. With that said, I've heard, you know, I've, Sprint has a reputation, is the, is the most politically correct way of putting <laughs> that. It has a reputation. Uh-huh. A good, one of my best friends I found out over the weekend is on Sprint. And guess what? We were in Big Sur doing the whole marathon, and the only person who had reception was him on Sprint. So for T-Mobile and Sprint customers, it's amazing. And as you said, I, I actually is- think that I want to add that it's actually going to be the, a lot of the pain points you're talking about are going to be for Sprint customers. And I'll tell you why, because they're going to be adopting, they're on a CDMA network right now and they, they're using LTE for data and they're going to have to switch to a full GSM LTE uh, configuration. So most of the existing phones are compatible, but it, that's going to be the, that's going to be the, the, the sticking point. I don't think the T-Mobile customers have to worry about problems. I think it's the Sprint customers that are going to run into some major issues when the two systems merge and integrate. Cause remember, T-Mobile is driving this, this show, right? They're, they're going to basically make sure that their customers are not getting affected in any way. And I don't think they will, but the Sprint customers, they're going to get the short end of the stick. And I think, but no, we're, all gonna, right. we're all going to benefit from better coverage ultimately. But for that, we'll need handsets that are compatible with these weird bands that Sprint has. That's going to make it very difficult to use unlocked phones on T-Mobile and benefit like you'll be able to use them but you won't benefit from those weird extra bands that really make all this gravy so delicious so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out because traditionally t-mobile has been very good at kind of adopting standards and sticking with bands that are relatively easy to implement so a lot of questions but i didn't want to interrupt i just wanted to say like to me that's i think it's the sprint customers it's the sprint side of things that's going to be the tricky side for this acquisition let me ask you a question. If you're a Sprint customer, this merger goes through. You know, let's, let's A, go for the fact that it's, we're going to probably talk about this a hundred times before even it's anywhere near approved. If it's approved. <laughs> yeah, we've still got a year and a half to figure that out. But if you're a Sprint customer and it's all gone through and you're having all these issues and you go to a T-Mobile store and they're like, go to Sprint. Sprint goes, go to T-Mobile. What are you going to do in the end? You're just going to go, fuck it. I'm going to go elsewhere. And that is a concern, I think. I have a simple recommendation for all you Sprint customers out there listening. Just switch to T-Mobile now. You'll be better off anyway. This is true. I hate to say this, but Sprint's customer service sometimes can be really good, but most of the time doesn't match T-Mobile's, number one. It's definitely better than AT&T and Verizon service, for sure. But... Um, the other thing that I want to point out is that while Sprint has some awesome coverage in some parts because they are on CDMA and they're on legacy bands where, you know, coverage exists since back in the days of analog, basically, they are going to uh, have 
uh, some loss in coverage by switching over to T-Mobile, for sure. So unless your home has bad reception on T-Mobile and your work has bad reception on T-Mobile, I encourage you today as a Sprint customer to, to switch over because you are going to be better off once this merger actually goes through. So there you go. I agree with that. I think if, like, even if the merger doesn't go through, they are really good. T-Mobile's excellent. So, yes, I have the odd issue, and yes, there are times when coverage and data speeds are atrocious. That will all be fixed once, you know, the 5G spectrum comes in. Talking about 5G, though, that's, uh, that's where this could be really beneficial, because oh, yeah. T-Mobile and Sprint individually didn't have a hope in no, hell of no. taking on AT&T Verizon. Absolutely. Collectively, as you said, yes, we have, there might only be three carriers, but each one of them is still going to be pushing. And T-Mobile under John Ledger could be could take the same approach they have done now to be the uncarrier, but with 5G. Absolutely. I, I, look, I think that the 5G strategy is uh, on point, makes perfect sense. It's actually probably the main reason for them to, to, to merge. I'm a little concerned about losing competition by losing one of the carriers going down from four to three. It's a little scary because your competition is really what drive things. I really don't think pricing is going to go up simply because John Ledger, that's, he's made his entire existence at T-Mobile on that like the whole on-carrier thing he's been very clear that that's going to continue and Sprint also has been extremely competitive on pricing so I'm pretty certain that the Sprint T-Mobile merge together is still going to be the most competitive offering in terms of pricing in the US and continue to be um, my biggest concern is as you said for Sprint customers coming over uh, later on once the merger actually once they get dragged in basically what that experience is going to be like which is why I encourage you if you're a Sprint customer to consider in the next year or two to switch over if this actually looks like it's going to go through and then the big big one which I really feel is you touched on but is nobody's discussing this one one is jobs they're saying it's going to make more jobs i am not quite as convinced because every merger of carriers i've ever seen means some stores get erased and that means some people lose their jobs and you know in the u.s when you say jobs it's always such a weird connotation thing because yeah, a lot of the jobs are contract jobs they're freelance jobs they are independent contractor jobs not salaried full-time employee or even part-time employee jobs so what do you define as jobs i think maybe they will increase the number of full-time and part-time employees through this merger because they need to roll out a whole new cell infrastructure in 5g right but what's it going to mean to the people who are contractors and 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 you know are not salaried that work at stores when their store closes you know they're going to get the boot yep Yep, that's it. Um, it. It's very, you know, you've touched on something which is important. It's so easy to go, oh, it made 10,000 jobs or whatever. But that, that was, no one's going to report the fact that T-Mobile just made, made 20,000 jobs with all of those being high-level high engineers and things like that, you know, or right. people who are solely in those specialist roles. But they got rid of 10,000 jobs from then they only have retail uh, yeah. from retail people only report the net effects exactly so we'll see and how this goes. is going to be the issue is we don't know what's going to happen of course but what's going to be interesting is to see how it's reported what they choose to do we know stores are going to close those yeah. 
And with retail proving to be difficult for most people anyway, like for not all carriers and stuff like that, a lot of those people aren't exactly super well off. I spent nearly 10 years in retail. I know how it feels to be in stores that are shut down. It can take a long time to find a new job. So while it's going to be for specialists, it's fine. It's going to be the people, you know, the, the low income families that are probably hit the hardest. Yeah. So I think there's definitely a lot of questions. Now, it's very early on. I just want to kind of give you my first impressions. And I want to walk through the fact that I initially was like, no way, this is not good. Because I'm a huge T-Mobile fan at all. And you know, the reflex is to not want change. But then I thought about it. And from a 5G spectrum and growth perspective, this is strategically very smart. Um, and the way it's set up where T-Mobile runs the show is also very smart. Um, I immediately can say that I'm worried about the Sprint customer quality, uh, service quality when they, when the switch however happens because of the technologies being so radically different. And I'm have a lot of questions around jobs. Uh, I'm not too concerned about prices going up. So that's my initial take after a few days, uh, reading, you know, opinion pieces, thinking about it based on my experience covering mobile for 15 years. Um, you know, but if, if, look, if you are a Sprint customer today and you want to stay on the bleeding edge of technology, you're like on one of the early adopters and perhaps you have been holding back because you have a great Sprint family, Sprint family plan or something like that. And I don't blame you for that. Um, I would say, you know, start thinking of a strategy to migrate your whole family to T-Mobile because the pricing is just going to be as awesome. And you're going to, assuming the coverage is manageable for you where you spend most of your time, I think it's a, it's a good idea to get started on that before you're stuck with, you know, a phone that doesn't work properly on the new bands and, and you know, you can't get the customer's care you need because you're kind of like the run of the, the runt of the litter, as it were. So... That's my advice to you. You can't fight these forces. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. You can bury your head in the sand or you can, you know, just kind of plan ahead. I, you know, that's the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah. It's going to happen one way or another. There's too many people who are too powerful and too invested in making this happen. So it's only a matter of time. And we have an FCC right now that's very pro-merger, con contrary to the previous uh, FCC. So... You know, we'll see what happens. But then again, you know, the AT&T T-Mobile merger was stopped and that was a bad merger. It wasn't going to be good. So I'm glad that it got stopped. But I'm just saying like, we just don't know. So I would say, you know, don't go to T-Mobile tomorrow and port your lines over. I mean, if you do, great. But but I'd say like, at least uh, wait a little bit. And if it once it becomes really obvious it's going to happen, I would say just just do it before it before you have to. Just Just cover yourself because it'll just be a lot easier for you in the long run. Well, um, exactly. If you're, you're a Sprint right. customer. So there we go. That's a good topic. Uh, I want to quickly touch on before we wrap up, Nirav, on our both mutual love for the P20 Pro. <laughs> Um, oh. I'm, I'm bringing it up because uh, last weekend, uh, sorry, last week's podcast was all about the P20 Pro um, and photography in particular. I had Steve Litchfield on, uh, as you know, from All About Windows Phone and uh, Android and Me, and who is kind of one of the camera gurus in the mobile space. And he wrote an article uh, comparing the uh the, the P20 Pro with the legendary Lumia 1020 with its 41 megapixel optically stabilized 
uh, a camera system from 2013. And she said, you know, I, I mean, of course, the P20 Pro is, is a modern phone that's fast and, and has like all these extra lenses for telephoto and all that great stuff. But in the end, if you compare the 40 megapixel sensors and what they can come up output, there's a lot of things that the Lumia still beats the P the p20 pro on and you know so he was very critical of the p20 uh, pro's imaging and i think i agree with some of what he said i think that there's over processing happening on the p20 pro and the current camera firmware too much sharpening too much noise reduction that really needs to be dialed down and i hear rumors that not this next update but the one after a lot of these issues are going to be taken care of but I also want to bring this conversation back with you simply because, well, you're a big fan, but also there's another article that was published I will put in the show notes that basically kind of made a similar comparison to Steve's, but came with a different set of results. So it's good to have multiple kind of viewpoints on this comparison between the P20 Pro and the 1020, the Lumia. And so I, I, want, I will put it in the show notes and uh, that's why I'm bringing up the P20 Pro. Uh, and of course now, Nirav, please tell us all the things you love about the P20 Pro and maybe the things you do not like about the P20 Pro. Sure. And the thing is, let me touch on this article quickly because Rob did this. Yeah, it's it an Android Authority article. I was, like, planning, yes. I was actually planning to, I was planning to be the one who did this because since, you know, since before this was even announced, I've known for months this was coming. And I, let me, let me clarify. I was super excited. I was in New York when they announced the 1020 and it was a phone that, you know, made me super excited, super happy. Touching on what I said way, way earlier when we were talking about the G7, the P20 Pro was exciting because it was different. It was nice to see a spiritual successor to the 1020. I will say I love Mr. Litchfield. He's amazing, but he wears Nokia rose-tinted glasses. A little um, bit. A little bit. So my take on this is, is, you know, I've not spent a lot of time doing this, but I have tested both. Uh, the biggest problem was trying to find a 1020 in the U in the US and actually getting that shipped and not having one. Someone sent me a 920 instead. So, ha. kudos to you. You, know, you should but, have asked me. I have one sitting on a shelf somewhere. Oh, Miriam, we of need course. to talk after this. Everybody does. This is one of those phones you I never do give as well. up. I do as well, <laughs> but I broke the camera on it. So, ah. I broke the stabilization. Anyway... You know, let me go. Through, I'm just popping through this. Like the 1020 was amazing and it was revolutionary for its time. It was super slow. Obviously, the P20 Pro is a lot faster and it combines AI. It's really good like that. Looking at what uh, Rob has put out, yes, P20 Pro captures more detail. And the main thing about it is, you know, it's the it's using modern technologies, pixel binning and things like that. They didn't exist back in. 2013 well actually they did pixel being on the 1020 so that existed actually they did better than pixel binning they actually did sub pixel interpolation which technically mathematically is actually better than pixel binning so nope i take that back just want to make sure you know that i did not know that it's definitely true that the way they're doing pixel binning on the p20 pro is very unique because it's a quad bayer filter and it means that they actually have individual pixels for light but they actually have filters that are covering four pixels at the same time so that actually makes it a very unique architecture basically it's a completely bespoke custom sensor nobody's done anything like that before and then for me also the zoom and i i the one actually not even the zoom you know the most outstanding feature and this is 
why I I'd pick a P um, you know an updated ten twenty versus an, the P twenty Pro. I'd pick the P twenty Pro night mode. Oh my god, the night mode is the re is the revolution on this phone. And so what's makes it this camera really stand out in my opinion? Yeah, you can take handheld shots for long expo essentially long exposure equivalents with handheld shots that are perfectly blur free, which is kind of amazing. Here's the thing. I use it during the day. Oh, it works during the day too and makes you it makes some interesting shots, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's over processing. You know, touching on what Rob also said. The 1020 was great and it was easy to use. The P20 Pro is anything but. It's tricky, it's convoluted, but it's amazing when you take it. That's the good. The bad thing is there is a lot of post-processing. Yeah. And it's not going to be for everyone. But I think back to my P20 Pro review that I did with Chris Carlin. And you know, the simplest way to put it is if you're willing to take the time to master it, and to learn how this camera works, it's not a point and shoot, a uh, pick up and take a picture like a Pixel or an S9. It's, it's this incredible amount of tools in your hand if you know how to use them. Yeah. The P20, uh, the 1020, I think back to the experience of it, because I spent a long time with it and, you know, I did a lot of Nokia stuff back in the day. Amazing phone, but you could pick it up and take a picture. The P20 Pro, you can pick it up and take a picture, but it's not going to be the best picture. Mo AI sometimes kicks in. You need to be able to know when to turn AI off and things like that. You can that. turn it off manually and permanently in the settings, which I have done. And honestly, it's a way better experience full auto with AI off. Uh, and you still, you know, can turn night mode on when you want it. And then, you know, you still have the, you still have the zoom anytime you want it. And there, there you go. You know, I like some of the parts of the P20 Pro AI like. Oh, yeah. I love the blue sky mode. <laughs> I was out in, um, you know this, the Muir Woods Overlook. Oh my God, yeah. I put that in my Instagram. This was a couple of weeks ago. It took some of the best uh, low light and some of the best sky and panoramas and all of this. It was the ultimate tool. The other thing I'll say was the 1020 versus the P20 Pro kind of thing. It's not really, this is not, my comment's not really a versus, it's, the P20 Pro is the spiritual successor to the Lumia 1020. It is, absolutely. It is the phone we've been waiting for. Not because it's, oh, A, because it's a 40 megapixel camera, but they've gone to this other level of extremes of multiple cameras and things like that, you know? It's, the best thing about it is, it, the one thing, and I don't know if I'll mention this, but it captured the essence of the 1020. And you know what the 1020 was? I'm sure you'll agree with me, Miriam. It made you want to go out and take pictures. Yes, exactly. And it made you want to be creative. The same. Yes, totally. it makes you go, whoa, I wonder if I could take this. You know, this is in a day when people used to carry point and shoot cameras. Uh, still, five years ago, smartphone cameras were good, but, you know, you would still sometimes, I still see some people carry these small point and shoot cameras because they were better. I would, you know, I, I'd probably happily sell every camera I owned that I didn't need for work and everything like that and just use a p20 pro it's not going to be perfect but it's the phone it's the best phone is the one in, the best camera is the one in your pocket and i i would struggle to find a phone better than that for a camera right now i think the pixel 2 xl still gives it a good run for its money uh, but if you need the optical zoom and even the hybrid zoom the hybrid zoom is insane you can yeah. go up to 10 times and still get some really usable photos and and you know that is a no small feat i I want someone, and this is kind of where I thought LG might come in. I want someone to make a camera 
with three sensors in the back that has a wide angle, a regular, and a tele. That would be amazing. That's all I want. And nobody's done that yet. So if some, anybody's listening out there, this is something you should think about. Yeah. I mean, look, the P20 Pro is a, is a, is definitely the most innovative phone of 2018 so far. Um, in many ways, it's very evolutionary. You know, the notch is just a very much a me too feature, etc. But I think that this camera subsystem is going to be remembered unless they can one up it next time or unless Google gives us something really special with the Pixel 3, which I think they might because it's one more year of AI and AI is based on data sets and Google has the best data sets. So we'll see what happens. But I'm excited. And speaking of Google iOS next week, I will be there. I don't know if you're going to be there, Nirav. I'm not this year, no. But uh, I'm looking forward to finding out what's going on next week. And I will try to have a podcast uh, live from the show with a bunch of folks. Nirav, we should wrap it up. I appreciate your feedback and thoughts on the G7, the T-Mobile Sprint merger, and the P20 Pro. And I want you to pimp yourself and your outlet. Where can people find you online? So I'm at Nirav on Twitter, on Facebook, at Nirav G on Instagram. I, I work over on AndroidAuthority.com with an amazing team. We've got so many cool things planned for the next few months. Come check it out. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you know any of the listeners. Hit me up on Twitter of what you thought about the comments. If, if you disagree with what I said, please, let's go have a chat about it. Awesome. So Nirav, one more question. I want now to talk about our sponsor. And my question to you is, do you listen to audiobooks? I do. What is your provider? I mean, there's only one question. Of there which you my go. Provider is. It's uh, Audible. And yes! I have, I am now at 15 or 20. I will say that even with the credits, I still buy about four books a month. There you go, folks. You've heard it here first. Audible.com is our sponsor for the Mobile Tech Podcast. Please go in the show notes and click on the link there. You will support the podcast and it will let you subscribe to Audible. Uh, you don't get a special discount, but you are supporting the podcast. It is helping us make this podcast a weekly affair. So again, go to the show notes and check out the uh, link uh, and, 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 you know, join Audible if you can. It, it's, uh, you know, it's the link is actually audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech and uh, yeah i'm really enjoying uh listening to some old william gibson novels right now and uh, uh prior to the to this i was listening to um the uh force awakens no what is it the, the newer of the two star wars uh I movies mean. in book form it was an 11 long even 11 hour long podcast i mean recording it was insane but hey that's it in the background you know one of the best things about audible by the way what is and it? I've not really heard people say this. You know, I used to have something on in the background on, on an iPad for like 30 minutes when I was going to sleep. And it would, you know, it would eventually the iPad would run for about five hours or whatever. Audible, I'm like, OK, I have the screen turned off. I've just got some an audio book playing in the background. It has a snooze feature. Yeah. A sleep feature. I set that to 30 minutes. And if I'm awake when that stops recording... When that stops playing, I'm like, oh, I need to do uh, something to change that because I need to fall asleep. Nine <laughs> times out of ten, I've fallen asleep in that part. By that there you point. go. You heard it here first. Audible.com, our sponsor, puts you to sleep in 30 minutes or less. Boom. <laughs> All right, folks, you know where to find me. I'm Tankerl on Twitter. That's at TNKGRL, like the comic book character without the vowels. 
That's also my Instagram handle. Um, Please subscribe to the podcast, mobiletechpodcast.com. Tell your friends about the podcast. And if you want some material that goes along with this podcast to watch, uh, there's my YouTube channel, Miriam Joar. That's youtube.com slash Miriam Joar. My full name spelled out, Miriam with a Y. And you'll get some unboxings and reviews and hands-ons like my G7 hands-on recently. Um, go check it out. It's good complimentary material to the podcast. And... You know, stay tuned for next week. We'll have another guest. Thanks, Nirav, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Come back sometime, okay? Thank you. I will do it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, see you all next week. Cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.